everybody, welcome to the 32nd edition of the Just for Laughs Festival, presented by Videotron in association with Lotto Quebec. Just for Laughs is proud to present Comedy Pro. Since you're already putting your mobile devices on silent, please take a second to check into this event on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever. Don't forget to include the hashtag JFLMTL, and for all things Just for Laughs, check out hahaha.com. Also, please don't try to record this show. It's rude, and let's be honest, you're better than that. Okay, now that we've got all of that out of the way, sit tight. The show starts in just a few minutes. So get ready to learn, laugh, share, and then leave. Jim Norton up here in a minute, but before we do, uh, a few brief words. Would you kindly welcome Tom Papa, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, everybody. Get ready to laugh and learn. (laughs) If the guy recording that knew the feeling that it puts in a comedian when you hear an announcement like that before you go on a stage... He would hang himself. Uh, I'm just here. My friend uh, Jim Norton asked me to uh, introduce him and uh, for the keynote for this year, which I think is a great choice. He is uh, a good person. He is, uh, he is very smart. He's prolific and uh, hardworking, which is uh, everything you expect from somebody in show business that looks like a sea turtle. <laughs> uh, I love him. He has a, a new show uh, on Vice, the Jim Norton show. It's a talk show on Vice, and uh, Vice is an internet uh, channel, I guess you call it. And I only bring it up because I didn't know that it was uh, on the internet, and Vice is such a badass name that you are actually intimidated when Jim tells you about the show. You're intimidated be like, is that on the internet? Because it feels like if you don't know it, you're kind of lame. Uh, but no, it's just a badass name, and it's on the internet. And uh, it was just released yesterday, and uh, it's great. He, he's good. And he's wearing a blazer now, which is uh, confusing at first. And then uh, you're like, oh, all right, he's, Jimmy's growing up. And uh, you also know him as the host, uh, one of the hosts of the uh, really funny Opian. Yeah. 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 Show. Jim Norton, everybody. Give him a big round of applause for Jim Norton. Thank you, everybody, and, and thank you, Tom. Let's, uh, let's clear something up. I didn't, Tom, I didn't ask Tom, just come and introduce me, because that really makes me sound like an ass who needs like a big thing. They said to me, like, well, do you want anyone to introduce you, or do you want to just walk up? And I'm like, well, I kind of feel like a dick if I just walk up on stage. So I'm like, all right, I'll have Tom come to introduce me. So then they come in the back, and they're like, well, we have an MC who does that, so I guess he'll just bring up Tom. <laughs> and I'm like, how humiliating is this? Like, they're introing a guy to do my intro. 
And they said to Tom, do you want an introduction or do you want to walk up? And pompous Tom goes, no, no, I'd like an introduction. <laughs> He's the only guy that ever had credits read before he brought on someone to give a speech to him. I appreciate you coming, too. I really do, because I was more nervous about this than a sold show. Because there's nothing more humiliating than when nobody wants to come and see you for free. <laughs> and uh, so I guess, you know, to get right down to it, that was a nice intro, Tom. Thank you very much. You know, Jim is nice. <laughs> Jim works hard. Jim is good person. It's really a great, uh, Jim once helped an old woman across the street, and he's never sodomized an infant. Please welcome. But I appreciate you being here. So now on to my speech. Laughter. No, I'm kidding. I don't have a, <laughs> I just want it to be really dramatic. What is laughter? No, I don't know how to do this. I'm a little nervous about it, but it's not the idea of talking in, in front of people, it's just this is very foreign to what it is we, we do. Because like you want I don't, to, I don't have it memorized, you know what I mean? I have probably the first 45 to 50 minutes down. <laughs> I'm kidding, it's gonna be a 20 minute talk and then you can all go and do whatever it is you wanna do or just stay for Brooklyn. I think most of you are just here for fucking Brooklyn Nine-Nine which starts in an hour and I happen to be talking first. Um, you know, I guess, uh, I, I will say I'm honored to be doing this and you sound like such a cheese dick saying that. But it really is, and you don't want to say that, you want to blow it off like it's not a big deal. Like when I was first asked, my first thought was like, okay, well they're saying, Jim, could you do this? That means that Louis and Amy and Aziz and Kevin Hart all said no. Like, I would love to know who said no before they're like, well, Jim Norton's available at a moment's notice. But it does feel good to be, to be asked to do it. And immediately you're like, oh, I'm not gonna do it, fuck that. Like, you know, your, my mind says, you know, fuck the industry, you know, some childish, you know those thoughts you had that you thought made you really cool, like your first three years in the business? You know, you'd say like, fuck the industry, and be like, oh wow, he's a rebel, this guy. But I find that most comics are, are typically, uh, we, we're filled with uh, a lot of self-hatred or delusions of grandeur, and we tend to go back and forth in between those things with, with nothing else. It's one or the other. So if they didn't ask me to give this speech, I would be very resentful that I didn't get the respect I deserve. But when they do ask me, my first thought is like, oh, I don't know, guys. I don't think I can do it. Um, you know, and, and so it's, it's nice to be asked to do it. And then I look back and like, well, I don't know, man. Can you do this? Because, uh, you know, Mark Maron has done it, and uh, Colin, and Patton, and uh, Louis Black. You know, so my low self-esteem says no, and then my megalomania kicks in. And it's like, well, fuck Colin, and Louis, and Patton, and Mark. If these hacks can do it, of course you can do it. <laughs> you know. Uh, and I've watched enough comedians self-destruct and, and, and kind of fall on their faces to figure like, fuck it, I'd rather come up and not do a good job than just give myself an excuse to, to not do it. So I do thank you guys uh, at the festival for asking me. And I don't even know why I'd have any hesitation to do this, because this is kind of what every comedian wants. Like you get to stand up here, there's no pressure to be funny whatsoever. You give your opinions on the business, and like other comics just have to sit there and fucking take it. Like, this is a wet dream for a comic, just to stand up here and give your opinion and not have to get one laugh. And uh, you know, my fear, I think, if I have any fear about it, is that you're gonna be standing up here and people are gonna go like, wow, that guy's a fraud. Because that's always my greatest fear as a comedian, that someday I'm gonna look back at myself and realize like, wow, I'm not genuine. And up here, I kind of know that I can't bullshit 
because you can't lie to a room full of comedians. Um, you know, people in the business, no disrespect to you, but you can be <laughs> lied to. Um, and I think of that every time I hear of a 16-year-old getting a development deal because he's got eight great minutes of material. Like, whenever someone in the business says, like, this guy's the next, whenever someone says they're the next, you know that the person saying that's an asshole and that guy is going to flop. <laughs> I remember the first interview I did in the newspaper, I was very young, it was like 1990, and uh, I remember the guy said, do you mind if I call you the next Robin Williams? And I thought that was such a cool thing to be called. And then he asked me what I like to talk about. I'm like, ah, game shows. I just threw that in there. But I think what I'm gonna talk about mostly is uh, this uh, obsession that our culture kind of has with apologies and this perpetual state of being victimized by comedy gone too far and this pathetic and dishonest uh, obsession people have with being constantly offended. Like, I don't know why all of a sudden comedians are expected to respect the boundaries and comfort levels of the public. Like, Richard Pryor didn't respect them, Lenny Bruce didn't respect them, uh, George Carlin didn't respect them. And when society draws a line in the sand, it's like a comic's instinct to not only step over the line, but kind of rub it out with your foot and be belligerent about it. And it's impossible for me, at least, to respect the uh, moral lines that people draw for their comfort level simply because any morality that says subjects shouldn't be joked about, I find that really hard uh, to get in line with. The public scoldings and punishments that are meted out, they're inconsistent and they, random, uh, they vary from performer to performer. So how do you line up and say, I respect that morality when one day this is gonna get you and the next day that's gonna get you? Um, is that, am I making myself feel like, I don't think as a result you should go up on stage and be purposefully malicious and uh, pointlessly antagonistic. I just don't think that we should shy away from subjects because uh, we're afraid of getting in trouble. And you know, again, I don't mean be untrue to who, uh, who you are as a comic. Like, I don't want to see Brian Regan go up and do Michael Richards' Laugh Factory set. Um, <laughs> let me correct. I want nothing more than to see Brian Regan go up. <laughs> oh, oh, you're a bunch of. Uh, you know. <laughs> but it just seems like right now we're in a place where people are being witch hunted for expressing an opinion. And even if it's a lousy opinion or a shitty opinion, uh, and, and comics I don't think can ever fall into the trap of lining up with groups that for any reason want to censor what a person says or thinks or punish a person for expressing what they, uh, what they think. Uh, because anything you say about a social issue is gonna offend half the country. I don't care how nicely you say it, I don't care how well you construct the joke, simply by stating the opinion, you are for something and anti something else. So, you know, half the people are gonna love what you said and think it was brilliant or intuitive, and the other half are gonna say you're an offensive pig. Uh, and if comedians have boundaries about subjects that we cover, I don't think we've progressed much since the 1950s when you got in trouble for talking about sex or Catholicism. And uh, I understand the legal difference between being arrested on stage by the state and the network threatening to drop you if you don't apologize for calling paparazzi a cocksucker. Uh, I, I just don't think that when most of us think of freedom of expression or freedom of comedic thought, 
that we think as, as harshly as arrested or not arrested. I think, you know, it means a little bit more than that. So when people say, well, yeah, but you're not being arrested for saying what you're saying, like, I get that. But I don't think that just because you're not being arrested that your uh, uh, ability to say what you want to say isn't being kind of stepped on. I like the freedom to joke about any subject, no matter how awful or how painful the subject, because like a lot of you, that's what made me funny. You know, it was always taking the things that hurt me or made me sad or insecure, I would make fun of them. And that was kind of what made me who I am as a comic. Um, you know, and I'm not trying to be overly dramatic when I say like McCarthyism, but the difference between that, that thinking in McCarthyism and now is it's not the government doing it anymore. The government doesn't come after you anymore. It's we're doing it to each other. You know, it used to be you'd go before a committee and some asshole would sit you down and, you know, what do your neighbors talk about? You have to go like, well, I think they're communists. And now it's each other, releasing each other's private emails and, like, you know, people are having to apologize for jokes and things they've said in private. The government doesn't need to step in and do that. We're just snitching on each other. It's like we've turned into a culture of 10-year-old kid sisters who just like to wait for the older sibling to fuck up so we can point and go, oh, did you hear what he said? And you know, I hate when people will say like manipulative things like, so what are you saying, that like rape and murder are funny? Like they really think they have you when they say something like that, because that's automatically, you put it like, oh, of course I don't think rape is funny. And then they think they've won the argument, because rape is not funny, murder is not funny. However, jokes about rape or murder or any other horrible subject can be funny. Um, you know, I don't think that any subject should be off limits. I kind of think that it's all the way you come to the joke. And I think the idea of being able to make fun of anything in the human experience, that sentiment has been lost on a, a great part of, of our culture because people keep finding their own sacred cow and saying, well, this is the one thing you shouldn't talk about. Like, you can make fun of that, and you can make fun of that, but whoa, stay away from race, or whoa, stay away from sexual identity or, or gender, or whatever it is. And uh, you know, I don't think that we should uh, avoid unpleasant subjects simply because they're unpleasant. Um, there was a rumor about, and I, I know it's true, about a, a very well-known comic who was doing some panel talk show. And they had the topics in advance. And there was one of the topics that he didn't want to talk about. He's like, oh, I don't want to catch any flack. And I'm like, is that what we are as a business? Like being afraid to address a subject because you don't want to get in trouble? Like, how shitty is that? And I'm not saying that you have to be untrue to you and go up and, and blast a subject that you feel you know, uh, personally uh, connected to or be harsh, but what kind of comedian won't address a subject just because they don't want to get in trouble? I mean, to me, like, does anybody look back on the days when Lenny Bruce got in trouble or when you couldn't make fun of sex publicly as a good time in comedy? Like, does anybody look back on the fact when Joan Rivers couldn't say uh, pregnant on uh, the Ed Sullivan show? Does anybody look back and go, that was a great time in comedy because she had to say it a certain way that made it palatable for everybody? And I'm really glad that Lenny got in trouble because he was using trigger words that were hurtful for people. You know, it's just... <laughs> it's uh, another uh, manipulative thing that people will say when you bring this stuff up is, well, then why is it important for you to make fun of these things? Why do you feel like you have to make fun of these? It's another way of just kind of putting you in the corner, like you're the asshole for bringing it up, and they're not in any way, shape, or form flawed for being bothered by it. And I'll tell you why it's important to make fun of these things, or why I want to make fun of these things. Because every other artist has the right to address things. 
Um, an actor or an author or a songwriter can address any subject they want without repercussions. Um, and why? Because they don't make fun of it. That somehow makes them more artistic than a comedian. Like, look at Michael Fassbender in 12 Years a Slave or Kevin, Wood, uh, Kevin uh, Bacon in The Woodsman or any other film that I've jerked off to. Like, you know, it's... <laughs> But look at these guys, they're addressing this dark side of humanity, this terrible side, or, or DiCaprio in, uh, in uh, Django playing this horrible slave master. And they're addressing, because they, they, they know the role before they accept it, but as performers and artists, they want to get into that headspace, and they want to address that part of the human experience. But as a comedian, if you address it, you're insensitive and you're an asshole. Well look, unfortunately, the only way for us to address that stuff is to do it in humor. Like, you know, I mean, I'm talking not really humorously now, but you can't go on stage in front of a paid audience and just stand up there and fucking give a speech about something. You have to address it in humor. So I don't know how we're supposed to do that without offending or bothering uh, somebody, you know, because people are like, well, that's not a funny subject, so you shouldn't talk about it. But I think any asshole can address something that is inherently funny. Like, if that's the only thing we're supposed to talk about, you don't need comedians. I mean, anybody can just point at something that's already funny and go, oh, look at that. Like, has anybody ever watched a video of a dog sliding on linoleum and thought, like, oh, whoever filmed that would be a great comedian? Because that's <laughs> fucking hilarious. No, I think the gift of what we do as comics, and I, hate, I would only say this to a room full of comedians, but I think the gift of it is that we take things that aren't funny and we allow people to look at them in a way that makes them laugh. And uh, I'm not using that as a justification to address harsh subjects. It, that's honestly how I feel about it. You know, and again, an extreme example, but when cops were pulling bodies out of John Wayne Gacy's house, they were making fun of it and they were joking about it because the, the, uh, the honesty and the reality of what they were doing was so horrible. And most of us obviously are not doing that but that, to me, is where that type of gallows humor comes from. So it's not this unjustified desire to be a frat boy jerk-off. I mean, it really is based in, in what has always kind of made me, or a lot of us, who we are as funny people. And they tell these weird uh, lies wanting to justify and dictate our, what our content is. Like, uh, what you guys say is heard by a lot of people. I love that one. Here's why you shouldn't make fun of things, because a lot of people will hear it, like the arrogance of that. Like, I'm not out to convert people or change people's opinions about anything. Any more than watching a comedian will change my opinion or convert me to anything. I don't agree with a lot of what Paul Mooney says. You know, if you're white, you really can't, but I still love <laughs> watching Paul Mooney. I loved watching Paul Mooney. There's nothing I enjoy more. I, I'm motherfucking white people. You can't not enjoy that. But I'm not offended by that. I'm not like, oh, how could he say that about white people? I just enjoy watching it. So I, I think that you can watch somebody you disagree with or don't click with and still remain who you are. I saw Joan Rivers. It's one of the greatest stand-ups I've ever seen was Joan Rivers probably about five years ago at the, uh, the cutting room in New York City. And she went up and did probably the harshest set I've ever seen a stand-up do. There was about 100 people in the room. It was uh, you know, on purpose, though. She didn't like, have 600 possible seats. Um, and it was really, really, uh, she just stood there for an hour. She was probably 75 years old at the time, 80 years old. 
And she, it was, I wanted to cry when she was finished. It was so, because what she did was so pure. Like, you know, she didn't hold anything back. She was fucking brutal. 9-11 jokes, AIDS jokes, jokes that I would never make. She just, oh, oh, blood on my fur coat. Oh, like fucking holy shit. <laughs> Without one ounce of worrying about offending somebody's personal line. What she, and I'm not saying that that's what you have to do to be a good comic, but that's what struck me. Like that's what we should be doing taking whatever it is that makes us who we are, whatever it is that we want to make fun of, and bringing it on stage without worrying about getting in any kind of trouble for it or any type of penalty for it. And everyone in the room did not enjoy what she did. You know, my girlfriend and I loved it because we were both comics. But there were a few people that had just seen her do some celebrity interviews on the carpet and they go like, oh, let's watch her. She's kind of cute. I saw her on Cal Burnett in 1975. And they were horrified. She said cunt in like the first three minutes and they were fucking mortified. I happen to enjoy it. Um, you know, which, and, but I walked out of that room. I didn't feel like that age was any less serious. I didn't feel that 9-11 was any less serious because I had laughed. At, laughing at jokes about those subjects didn't make me uh, have less respect for the seriousness of those subjects. It didn't make me feel any less love or empathy for victims of that stuff. So that's a lie that people use just to try to get you to not talk about subjects that they find personally uncomfortable or upsetting. And I'm sick of people babbling about, well, you know, you can say what you want, but a lot of responsibility comes with that. Oh, fuck you. A comedian's job, I think that we're responsible just for being funny and being original or attempting to be funny and original. That's where our responsibility uh, begins and ends. What about the responsibility of a fucking audience member? What about their responsibility to comprehend that they're hearing something that they know is being said in humor and they have uh, the ability to laugh or not laugh accordingly? Why do bloggers and audience members and special interest groups suddenly have zero responsibility for accurately interpreting the content of what they're hearing? Why is it only the comedian that has a responsibility? Um, you know, why, why is it like the audience member has zero responsibility for willingly walking into a situation where they know they're going to hear something that could be offensive or upsetting or objectionable and still getting offended? Like, there's no responsibility by them in their reaction. Like, all of a sudden, a room full of people who enjoy something are invalidated, and the one person who is bothered by it is suddenly the focal point where everybody goes, oh my God, you're right. You walked into a situation where you knew something could be made fun of, but you are right to have gotten upset, and all of those people are wrong for enjoying it, and that person was wrong for saying it. Um, you know, like, when did comedians be become people that you were supposed to interpret literally? Word by word. Like, you know, we're contributing all of a sudden to rape culture and, and, and you know, and racism and violence in society. What the fuck is going on? Like, you know, if somebody kills himself after they listen to a Judas Priest record, nobody says, like, oh, Judas Priest is bad. We all kind of collectively understand that that person was an asshole who killed himself. But, you know, if you're a comedian and you offend somebody that carts you out and you got to go on the apology tour, uh, it just see, it seems that the people who complain the most about not liking labels are the first ones to put a label on a comedian as uh, you know, offensive or misogynistic or racist or homophobic. And uh, look, we do what we do because we want attention. As a comedian, I like attention. Now what you need to do if you want attention is just kind of feign moral indignation or write a blog about somebody's so you hurt your feelings in a, in a comedy club. And uh, you know, my co-host obviously recently had an issue uh, 
Anthony, uh, from Opie and Anthony. If you don't know what happened, I'll sum it up quickly. Um, he was out taking pictures with his big camera, and people thought that Anthony was creeping on people. And, you know, look, he, he's, he had a big camera in the studio all the time. Uh, you know, a lot of times when you hit 50 and you have no children or love, you, you know, <laughs> photograph things. And, uh, and uh, I'm not even knocking Anthony. I'm 46 now, and I'm eyeing up cameras. Believe me, I'm fucking <laughs> right behind him. But he was assaulted. A black woman uh, assaulted him, and, uh, you know, he just got into, I guess, uh, a yelling match. And uh, he has a gun. Anthony always had a gun. And uh, he didn't pull his gun or do anything stupid like that. He went on Twitter afterwards, and he kind of went on a Twitter rampage. And he said a lot of shit that I felt like, eh, he probably should have rephrased that. You know what I mean? Because you can say a bunch of things, but on Twitter, when you say a bunch of things in a row, sometimes the water gets a little bit cloudy. And each tweet, if you, if you send out a tweet that requires an explanation, you're fucked. <laughs> Every tweet has to stand on its own as a beginning, middle, and an end. Because people read that tweet aren't suddenly going to invite you into their house and go, what did you mean by that? And you're going to go, well, technically, I was only saying that people that behave this way are animals. And you go, okay, thank you. No, I won't be upset. I'll retweet you. You know, um, <laughs> because even when people do understand context, like when it was Cancel Colbert, the, the, the group that was coming after him said, yes, we do understand why he said those racist Asian terms. He was trying to point out uh, how Native Americans are treated with uh, redskins. So we do understand the context, and we want him canceled anyway. So a lot of times, it's not a misunderstanding. They get it, and they just want to kind of nail you anyway. So I think that some of what Anthony said, I wish he would have said differently. Um, but the story, the important thing for me was the way the press ran with the story. And the story wasn't guy is assaulted, doesn't hit woman back. The story was radio host says shitty things on Twitter. That's what the story becomes. So what you do, how you react, how you behave is not important. It's what you say that's important. Um, you know, and then somebody pointed out on the radio show, I don't remember who it was, but you know, like, you know, can you imagine if all they would, that's how you know that things in America are really good. Like, can you imagine if the big problem in Gaza was that people were sending angry tweets at each other? <laughs> and then when they said that, I went, oh, that's a good point. I'll put that in my speech. <laughs> Ooh. But at the last minute, I had to credit somebody else. I, I just think that, you know, that maybe that is a sign that we're doing well, that, you know, a comedian says the word tranny, and it gets more fucking press coverage than the Fatty Arbuckle trial. And I just, you know, and here's the problem with it, and I'm going to wrap up soon. I don't mean to, to ramble about this. It, it's just, it, it's arbitrary what can get you in trouble. It's like, it's hard to respect the boundaries because it's always changing. Like, well, you know, a black comedian can say this about a white comedian, and a white comedian might be able to say this about an Asian comedian, but an Asian comedian should not say that about a woman or a transgender. It's almost like there's so many subheadings and different little landmines to avoid. How are you supposed to respect that line in the sand because it's constantly moving? You know, Carlin had the seven dirty words. You know, those are the seven dirty words you can't say. Well, you know, shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Nobody can say them. No radio broadcaster can say them. It doesn't matter if you're a Latin station or a white station or a black station. If you say them on the radio, you will be fined by the FCC. It's the other stuff that kind of bothers me. So I guess uh, a big part of the problem, I think, is that nobody communicates honestly with each other. We don't tell each other the truth. Um, you know, we are all saying what we think we need to say to not get in trouble. 
you know, we all say something and then we're like, no, I didn't mean that. I really meant this. And then we give the fake apology and, you know, we pretend that we're outraged when we're not. So I guess, uh, you know, by the way, for a male-dominated business such as stand-up comedy, the people showing real courage are the women. The women in our business are the ones that have it. I'm not saying that for, I, I promise you, I'm not saying that for a cheap, shitty applause break or because I've been single for three years and... Um, <laughs> I really mean it. When you look recently at the people who have kind of stood up in the controversy, Natasha Leggero, Amy Schumer, Chelsea Handler, Joan Rivers, they're the ones who have been attacked for jokes, and they have not only refused to apologize, they have mocked the idea of the apology. They've kind of been aggressive in combating the idea of the apology. So I think that uh, all of us should kind of follow suit. And if you're sorry about something, say you're sorry. I'm not saying don't apologize or it's wrong. You know, I, I said something really shitty about Steve Martin in my book, and I felt bad about it. I genuinely felt bad about it, especially when he confronted me about it. And I fuck, you've never seen, I'm talking all this shit, you've never seen somebody fucking worm up and collapse <laughs> as fast as I did when I was interviewing him on The Tonight Show, and it was, like, it was an Emmys piece or whatever, and he looked at my seat, he goes, Jim Norton, you said some unkind things about me in your book. You know, Steve Martin just looks at you like you're garbage. And, and, and I was like, well, you know, I really didn't mean it. I was having a tough time. I was really a big fan. And I was fucking, you know what I mean? You know, and, oh, oh, I think your remakes are better than the original. Oh, it was fucking, oh. <laughs> But I genuinely felt bad about that and had kind of, uh, you know, apologized on Twitter or whatever it is before that. But uh, I guess in closing, I will say, and again, I, I'm sorry for the kind of rambling nature of this. Uh, advice to new comedians, a little bit of advice to new comics, because I always try to take time and talk to a new comedian because comedians, there's a woman named Lynn Vecchio, who I'll never forget. I met her the first comedy show I ever went to in 1990. I was 21, and I don't remember, I never saw her since that day. And I told her I wanted to do stand-up, and she took me outside, and she talked to me for about a half hour, and she listened to my questions, and she showed me a lot of love. And it was a person I've never talked to. It was 25 years ago. So I always try to take time for a, a new comic. Um, I won't have time after this, but I mean, I do in general <laughs> try to, I'm very busy up here at the festival doing podcasts, and you know, especially after this now, I'll sit down with my self-important speech. Jim, what did you mean? And I'll say, and believe, I, I, the whole time I'm reading this, I, I know that there's people out there who are gonna blog about this and fucking hang me with my own words. That's why I should have just read it verbatim. But when I was reading it, it just felt too rehearsed, like the fucking grandson and the godfather when Brando came home from your grandson, Frank. I knew I shouldn't have said that one. It wouldn't get a laugh. I knew that would get nothing because I'm not talking to a room full of 58-year-old men. Um, <laughs> A little advice to new comedians. Uh, stop thinking you're interesting by being here at the Montreal Festival and going, God, I hate festivals. <laughs> no, you don't. We all love the festival. I used to say that when I came up here. I'm like, don't you fucking hate these things? And they're like, yeah. How many times did you audition to get up here? 14, 14 shots to get it. <laughs> um, stop thinking you're original saying like, I hate going to LA because the people are fake. They are, but we all kind of knew that going in, so stop thinking that you're being like, you know, smart and New Yorky by saying that, yeah. Look, and here's a bit, our business is filled with liars. Just understand that. Um, you know, it's, it's easier for them to lie. It doesn't mean that they're bad people or they're scumbags, because they're really not. My manager is such a good guy. He's like an optimistic guy. Like, he'll say, no, no, Jim, you don't understand. So-and-so is a big fan. 
And I'm like, John, he's not a big fan. He's the head of a network. They haven't given me anything in 11 years. He told you he's a big fan because you were at a party and you said, what do you think of Jim? Like, what do you, th what do you think he's going to do? Be honest? Well, he's a hunk of shit and we'll never use him. Like, it's just easier for him to lie to you and go like, oh, he's great. We're all big fans. You know, so my manager sometimes gets his hopes up. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's just you have to look at what people do kind of like in the Anthony situation. I find what people do tells a lot more than what they say in any, any given moment. Be careful of bitterness. You know, I find myself, we have to be careful not to be too bitter and say like, well, the business only rewards mediocrity, uh, which again is true in some cases. But then there's guys like, uh, uh, who do deserve what they get, like Bill Burr and fucking Louis C.K. and other people who are not creepy Boston redheads. Um, <laughs> But, you know, guys like them or Amy, uh, they're really, they they, they're enraging in a way because they kind of shatter my, my thought, which is that, like, you can't break through if you're smart and edgy. Like, these are all smart and edgy comics, and a lot of them are smart and edgy. So it's real easy to sit there and go, like, the fucking business doesn't get me. The business gets me fine. They've just said no. You know, the temptation is to think you're a dark horse, man, giving everybody a tough pill to swallow. No, you're not. Um, I would say a bit of advice. Try to avoid certain hacky improvs. Uh, I've learned that. Like, don't, think, don't interpret what an audience member is thinking. Uh, that's really awful. Like, if you do a joke about, like, you know, a woman being a lesbian, then you find a girl in the front row, and you're like, hey, look at her. She's thinking, like, yeah, maybe I'd go that way if this guy hit on me. She's not thinking that. She's thinking, I wish this fucking guy would get off, and the local middle would do 45 more minutes. Uh, don't, try, don't fall into the trap as a young comic. If you want to be clean, be clean. If you're a dirty person, be dirty. But there's no valor in cleanliness. There's no valor in shockingly dirty. There's only, I think, valor in being original and being yourself. So if you're a piece of shit, be that. Um, you know, you can't curse on network television. I'm not thinking, you know, think you're dangerous and drop an N-bomb on Fallon. But just don't, you know, but, you know what I mean? I don't mean be a fucking idiot, but don't start using cute words. Like, instead of cock, I'm going to say my do-nanner. And she, the people are going to think, like, oh, he's really clever. Um, as my late friend Otto Peterson would say, kill yourself. <laughs> wow, I... No, no, no. I, maybe you're just clapping because that joke is over. I don't know why I said that. My late friend, oh, fuck me. You're absolutely, you know how awful it is to get stone-faced? Do you know how hard, for anyone who's not a comedian, do you know how hard you have to work to quote Otto and bomb in front of other comedians? You could literally, Otto could get laugh at another comedian's wake, and I quote him, and people are like, no, that's the one thing Otto said that we didn't enjoy as a business. <laughs> oh, if you're a new comedian, please, uh, don't go over your time by 10 minutes and then tell the audience, all right, they're telling me I have to go, just to hear the crowd go, oh, fuck you. Because <laughs> the comedian after you hates your fucking guts. Um, and stop fake laughing at your own punchlines. That's annoying. Like going, like you know, like you know. Hey guys, I can't believe I'm saying it either. Um, 
Uh, I'll be nice to your, uh, be, always be nice to other comedians. I, I find that uh, to be true, because you know, other comedians have been tremendous to me. If it was not for like people, Colin Quinn and Louis C.K. and Amy Schumer, my last television credit would be in 1998. So thank God my friends have put me in things. Sometimes I think the only reason they've used me in things is they don't have to see my stupid face at the comedy cellar just kind of looking like, how's the project, guys? So they're like... <laughs> Sometimes I just think that my absolute failure has shamed them into putting me in something. Um, and another bit of advice, I, and again, I'm almost done here, would be to say, uh, I don't enjoy comedy as much as I used to. Don't watch a tremendous amount of comedians because, like, you know, uh, I was uh, co-headlining uh, a lot with Dave Attell. Dave and I tour quite a bit. And by co-headlining, I mean we split the money, but I always make him go on last. Because, um, you know, nobody wants to fucking follow 45 minutes of a tell who, you know, he, let's be honest, he's a psycho. He'll walk on stage. We, we're carrying like a fucking a bag from a deli and just fucking kill. He's losing his mind. But <laughs> after we do the set, like I'll do my 45 and Dave will do his, we kind of improv for like 20 minutes and talk to the audience. And that's always fun. But in, in my time, when I come back up before Dave brings me on, I'll always see like five minutes of his set. And he always says something so fucking funny and brilliant that it just makes me want to get out of the business. So a lot of times I find watching other comedians can be very damaging because I don't want to pick up their mannerisms and I don't want to become them. And if you're doing comedy for under five years, believe me, other comedians recognize when you're on stage going, <clears throat> well, okay, we know where you got it from. So just be yourself and don't watch a lot of comedians because you're going to pick up their shit. Although um, I probably should have watched one that had a stronger closing. <laughs> I, didn't, I only saw Collins last year, and Colin just kind of riffed for a fucking half hour with a microphone. You know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, and what we understood, we enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess I'll say uh, none of us are 100% honest on stage, and it's okay. Like, being honest is important, but don't think that you're going to break the mold. You know, we all bullshit a little bit. Like, we've all forgotten our act. And instead of telling the audience, like, I don't know where to go from here, you kind of go like, ah, you guys are a fucking good crowd. Um, or a bachelorette party yells something, and you laugh along with them instead of yelling cunt so you don't get a shot glass thrown at you. We've all done that. Now, see, I'll be 100% honest on stage and say I had a little higher hopes for the ending there. But I, I, I could have lied and just went, right? I mean, we've all been there. But we haven't. I do appreciate the festival asking me, and there's no way in front of a room full of comedians, by the way, that I can try to stretch and close strong. I have to just fucking take that one on the chin. <laughs> and walk off. That's the worst part about talking to comics is every fucking trick in the book. Like, I could look at Jeffrey Gurian. If I'd known you were here, I would have done the whole fucking set. This is why I hate Jeffrey Gurian. You're a nice guy, but yesterday we're at, you know, I'm sure if you know Jeffrey, he, he looks like he's fucking, looks like he's in the Maxell cassette commercial. Just unpleasant. Can I interview you? It's like, I'm at a urinal. Could you give me a fuck? He just pops up like Zelig, fucking at bad times. And, uh, you know, when Patrice's wake was happening, I was talking to him, and Jeffrey popped up in the casket and go, can I talk to you when this is over? <laughs> but he told us our flight was canceled yesterday at LaGuardia Airport, so we stand online for 45 minutes, and it was only delayed. You know, so you... 
All right. Well, thank you very much to the festival. I um, appreciate it. You've honored me greatly by, by asking me to do this. And uh, again, thank you guys for, for listening. And uh, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Guys, uh, thanks for joining us. Do check out other events we have all day. We've got another panel, TV's Power Brokers, uh, in the room upstairs next to the bar. Uh, have a great day. Check out everything you can. Thanks for joining us.